0: Hello and welcome back to Young Nostalgia, the podcast that takes a trip down memory lane from two guys that never lived it. I'm Nolan and as always, Ben is beside me, 800 miles away. It's great to have you here and thank you so much for joining us as we talk about our passion for the past while being young at heart. So episode 44 is coming at you and it is a super, super special one for us as we have our special guest Shane Tilton in the studio with us. I know we've been talking about him for a long time, but he's finally here. And we can't wait to talk to him, Ben. How you
1: doing? Oh, it's been a long day, but you know it's it's nice to cap off a long day with recording Young Nostalgia.
0: <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. Without further ado, I'm going to introduce Shane Tilton to you guys. So Shane Tilton is actually one of our brothers in arms from Phi Gamma Delta, one of our uh, fraternity advisors. He is assistant professor of multimedia journalism back at Ohio Northern University, our alma mater. Um, he works and the Communication and Media Studies Department, as well as having the great honor of being the 2018 Young Stationers Prize winner over in London. It's great to have you here, Shane. How you doing?
2: I'm doing wonderful, Nolan. It is great to be here. I've listened to a number of the episodes. I enjoy, you know, getting a sense of where you think the past is and your you know your media consumption habits, so it's actually cool. So, uh, Nolan Ben, thank you for letting me be on. It's a it's a real pleasure.
0: It's a, it's an a way to pick your brain full of whether it be your own experiences, professional, consumer, anything. We're uh, ready here to talk to you. So, without further ado, I can just kind of dive right in. So, tell us a little about a little bit about yourself in terms of your education, your early career, and kind of. What got you into media and where you are today?
2: Oh, good grief. Um, well, I was um, originally uh, working for an NBC affiliate uh, right out of high school. So, basically, my first couple years of college, I was uh, working as a line producer and a studio producer. So, I was responsible for doing the 6 11 o'clock news. And also, while, about the same time, I was in a production company. So we did Fall Show Productions, we did, uh, which was in Zanesville, Ohio, which is a small town in southeastern Ohio. And between the two experiences, working for an NBC affiliate and working for my own uh, production company, I found that I really got into the interest of what makes good media. So what do we use to tell really good stories? And essentially, I was working for news for four years and decided I'm really burned out because I would work a 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift five days a week. And it's really hard to have any type of life when you do that on a regular basis. So I went back, got my degree. Uh, I got my ma- a master's degree in 2014, got my Ph.D. in 2012. And during this time, I- I've seen how media the way we produce media, the way we consume media and our relationship for media has changed in a really dynamic way. It's been very interesting. So I it's, I've been basically playing around with media for almost 20 years. As a matter of fact, my first, my first like real job that got me paid was I was a basketball videographer for my high school team. So I would shoot basketball video for three years made a little bit of money and, you know, I had a taste for it since. So it's been kind of a, you know, a wild ride.
0: That's that's awesome to hear, especially since you have such a dynamic view on things between sports and then as well as news so early into, early into your career. So I guess we can kind of jump into how you saw media change within your professional career. Awesome. So let's say, you made your transition from your first job as the basketball filmer and kind of um, your know, sports media outlet for your high school. How did that change when you went into your first professional job in news?
2: Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's it, um, basically between 1998 and 2002, there wasn't really a lot of difference because if you think about how media was shot 20, almost 20, oh, 20 years ago, it was still using tape. So when I first started shooting video, If I want to do any editing, I would have two VCRs that would have my different pieces of media I want to put together. And then a third tape deck that would let me do my editing. And when I worked for NBC, it was basically that system. So the production of media was this long professional process. It required considerable money to have the equipment that you would need. It would take lots more time. It would take a a more refined skill set. It, it's it was a different process to actually do editing and video editing and do it well. It was always we call it a four to one process, because if you wanted to shoot one minute of video or if you wanted one minute of video done well, it would take four minutes on the back end or on the front end to actually get the video the way you would want it. And then on the tail end, it would take another four to five way that sense. So one minute of video would take at least nine minutes to actually produce well. Anymore, you could just dump your video on your phone, you record your video on your phone, put it on the computer, and it works. So it's really become more um, easier as a, as a consumer of media to produce the media. So that's the thing that I found interesting. It's basically the speed of production and the low cost of the technology, the two things that have fundamentally changed – what people are doing. That's why the news industry is getting more amateur film coming. And that would have been 20 years ago, that would have been really unusual. You might have got a tape here and there. But if you look at the news today, it's more what do you capture on your cell phone. So it's absolutely fascinating this shift between the professional class and the consumer class.
1: Right. And I, I'm really glad you started, you brought up the, uh, the process of editing with the tape and we started moving into that because. I feel like that's something that, especially on this show, but also in current uh, culture at, right now as well, it's kind of sort of that era of that technology is kind of skipped over. Um mm-hmm when it's being talked about. You know, we, we, we think about what's going on now and how easy it is now, but then when you think of something older, your mind seems to just kind of instantly jump to way older when you're looking at right. film and that sort of thing. And, you know, I think we tend to forget a lot of that whole... Of the uh, '80s into all the way into the late '90s and early 2000s of the tape that you know, it's just kind of like the 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 redheaded stepchild that never gets really talked about anymore. And I think that's kind of uh, that was that's pretty interesting that you brought that up.
2: Well, and also, and since you're talking about tape, if we're talking about audio, the first thing I learned with audio production was tape. I had mm-hmm. to use reel to reel. So in terms of the the technology, that's '70s and '80s. That's basically. You would have the uh, eighth inch, quarter inch, um, eighth inch, quarter inch tapes that you would have to do your audio recording and do live tracking. So, my first editing in audio was actually using a safety razor, cutting it up tape, real physical <laughs> tape, putting patching tape on it, and playing it through. That was the first lesson I got in audio. That was my, my professor at Ohio University's Angel, Rick Shriver. Basically, that was our final exam. We recorded something in our studio. For an, half an hour, we had to cut it up and give it as a four minutes, which is, is – Go
0: ahead. That's that's absolutely insane. Um, and <laughs> I, I, I really wanted to ask you this question because you talked about how you kind of learned that skill and it was almost like a trade in itself to be able to line up that audio, line up the reel-to-reel, line up that tape. Yeah. And you were still using that technology in the late 90s, early 2000s when – it was very prominent in the 70s and 80s. Right. And so nowadays, you can download free software like Audacity, pin together audio super easy. Right. So do you think as, as easy and convenient as it, as it has become for both video and audio editing, do you think we're losing that, not that, I don't know, what do they call it, passion or like that trade of being able to do it well that almost anybody that has a computer, a mouse, and a keyboard can do it nowadays?
2: Okay, well, let's, let's, let's go out of the 1900s. Let's go back to the 14 and 1500s. And let's talk about print, because that's sort of the equivalency. It used to be, in those ages, to do print well, you would use a scribe. You have to have the pen. You have to have the ink. You have to have the artistic creativity to be able to produce the written word and give it to people throughout the nations of Europe. Then you had Gutenberg with his press. And through simply putting the right letters together in a pre-conditioned press, you could print down, get more books produced to the general public quicker. Did we lose the artistic? Maybe, because scribes are a very artistic craft. Books, not necessarily. But the messages is getting out. So I don't think we're losing a little bit in terms of maybe the craftsmanship. But in terms of the message delivery, it's more prevalent. Now, with the age of computers, it's more messages out there. So essentially, yes, you might have lesser quality works, which adds to the static of all the information that's out there. But I think you can still use the same tools and produce a high quality, really crafted piece of work. You could produce JAWS on your cell phone. Use some filters and get <laughs> a very similar approach. Does that ruin the creativity? Maybe, but it does give you the after product. People that are watching that work or listening to the work may not have the technical expertise to appreciate the stitching of the product, but they appreciate the end result. And I think that to, to that end, I think that has a more important um, benefit than any craft that's lost. Anytime technology improves a process, there's always a be moment to what has been lost. We lose in the era of transportation. We are concerned. We do. We have concerns for those that put horseshoes on horses. Is that a lost craft? Yep. but we've gained so much in terms of cars. So there is this this evolution of communication that's nice, but we do lose some of the aspects. And. So maybe as the sort of the reverse of that is, yeah, there may be a point where we become so advanced that previous technologies become obsolete and hard to receive. That's a concern that's out there, too, which I think I'm basically doing a tangent away from the conversation, which being an academic, that's kind of what I do anyway. But um, <laughs> but but it it's something that that happens. So basically, as we improve, things are lost and we just have to accept what is lost if we enjoy the products and we're still maintaining this legacy of culture?
1: That's that's very I true. It. I mean, that's that's you know you think more into it, and you know we were talking about we we started off talking about how you know. Kind of, sort of hinting to just it being a shame that something that is, you know, it becomes lost like that. But you know, everything is like that. That's how. That's what happens in the world. Um, every single little piece of technology will eventually become obsolete and forgotten. Or, and you know, and that's not ne- necessarily talking about technology of today's standards. I mean, that might be technology of 1800s that was crafted by uh, a very skilled tradesman um, is now 100% obsolete, and no one's even heard of that you know piece of technology um and you know but it's at the
2: same, but at the same time if you have the passion for it which is what you i love about your podcast there's a passion about the craftsmanship of the past so if you're interested in it if you want to do old fat if you want to do the older style studio production on reel to reel the information's out there to do it to emulate the style and the techniques of the past it may take more work on your end but in the past it always took more work so it is obsolete, and it may be lost a little bit, but as long as there is a knowledge out there, it's going to be fine.
0: I love it. Oh, I absolutely deep. love it. Um, so let's <laughs> kind of talk a, a little bit about um, how you've seen the individual or the consumer world in terms of media. We touched on it a little bit, how because of it being so streamlined and easy for people to create audio, create video, edit it and get it out there to people, does it make it harder for people to be able to, I don't know, find what they're looking for? Like, is, is it almost getting to the point of too foggy where it's almost too easy for people to be able to put out false news, you know, alternative facts? Like what, uh, what does all that mean?
2: Well, then that, okay, glad you mentioned that. So in terms of what I always use the term propaganda for some of those components, but What I think happens when you're talking about getting lost in the millions upon millions of media or pieces of content that are produced on a yearly basis, you essentially need curation. And this goes back, you know, 1990s, 2000s, when I first was getting into my master's work, there's the idea of The Long Tail. That is um, a great book. It was written by a um a wired magazine editor and they talk about that yes there is this mass consumer media that's out there and it's going to get lots of exposure it's going to get lots of interest but there's still even the niche there's something that is interesting so if you have a passion for Norwegian death metal (laughs) there is a there is a place in the spectrum for it and you tend to find experts in that field you tend to listen to people that you trust get recommendations and you listen to them and you use humans to help you understand what would you like now there are algorithms much like you know amazon that basically select some things you may be interested based on your peers but that curation between the two gives you a sense of what you might find acceptable and then if you're using you know the algorithms if you're using youtube you can always thumb it down you can and it will make a better selection if you talk to your friends and you were like, I really don't like that piece of music. you get any other recommendations. They'll say, sure. Since you didn't like this. you you might like this. If you don't like, um, if you don't like, um, John McLaughlin, who's one of my favorite, favorite, uh, more favorite, um, jazz musicians, you might like, um, you might like, uh, Herbie Hancock, or you might like, um, Uh, Yo-Yo Ma, you might like something different. You might be able to pick the music that is of more interest to you based on what the people that you trust would recommend, what the algorithms recommend, and what you pick up in the air. That's why radio is still important, because radio gives you this ability to listen to music that you may not be exposed to, and gives you a new appreciation for things that you might like.
0: That's... uh, Man, it's like I... I am trying to <laughs> just like consume all of this because it's like getting me all giddy over here, but I love it. Yeah, so I, I, oh, go ahead, I like ben.
1: the the whenever Shane's done talking, we Nolan and I both have this pause to where we're like, "Holy cow!" We, you know, we were thinking one thing, and then Shane is just blowing our minds with something new, and we have to take a second to. You know soak it in before we <laughs> before our well, brains can I mean, work that's, that's to say the, anything. Of the
2: academic the academic you basically <laughs> you you throw a question then essentially I throw the question back it's just in a statement but you know you got it's it's a way of the thing I like about these type of conversations is you have to think about what are you doing in terms of your own media consumption what are you doing what do you like and even as a more analytic why do you like what you like and chances are you like it because a friend liked it, or you liked it because you heard it on the radio, or you did something else with it that you did not think that would be exposed. It's even like food. There's food that you don't think you're gonna like. You try it, and then eventually you like it. Same thing with media.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's dig into your brain a little bit more, Shane, and kind of so what has been your personal experience since starting out with you know the old-fashioned real the real, that sort of media? What have you found helping for yourself, especially being a professional, um, especially in an educated, educative kind of view of media, what have you found most helpful to find your way through the fog and kind of show other people how to find their own way through the fog of media?
2: Wow, that is an excellent question, Nolan. Um, What I would say is, I would go back to kind of a tangent of what I said before. It's that I've listened to my friends in terms of, how do I approach what I teach, what I listen to, what I like, and be able to explain you know, what makes a good piece of audio, what makes a good piece of video. Why do I enjoy what I enjoy? And it's these type of conversations. I will, back in grad, the one thing I miss about grad school is Thursday night, we would wax philosophical for three to five hours after the classes were done in a specific location with specific beverages (laughs) and trying to make sense of what we have learned and what we enjoy. And it's that communication and conversation that got us to a point of not necessarily getting into a group think where we all agree that we like the same stuff, but at least making us appreciate our own individual taste and our own particular loves of genre. So I think it really becomes having conversations, which is, if only I was a communication professor, I would be able to teach communication and do this kind of stuff. But sadly, I'm just a guy that talks a lot. So <laughs> that was that was bad chance, a bad attempt at sarcasm. So I apologize for that. But I, I, I think it, it is more conversationally based. It's something that based on if you have people that are knowledgeable, that have basically background it doesn't have to be background in the industry but at least have exposure to the areas that you are interested in the more likely that you can be more reflective to your own ability to like music your ability to create work and the other thing that's beneficial is getting good feedback from experts and peers so if you can find out why they like a particular piece of music or you can find out why um why their their tastes are the way they are and how they got to that point. That's all. So how do you
0: feel like social media is such a big player in finding your way through the fog? Like if, I mean, obviously we all have our own likes and dislikes, but social media allows us to, let's say we have conversations with our friends, we find what we really enjoy, and then ne- then you can even take it a step further and follow them everywhere they go and what they right. do. Right. So how has that changed your perspective of media through the years?
2: I think it's really done two things. And I and I, I think my, my view of social media has changed over the past fifteen years because when I started the first time I heard the term social media was probably two thousand and five. It was around it was probably the end of two thousand five. And and I had friends in grad school that said, hey, there's this new website that you might want to check out. It's basically, we're all on it. You can talk. It's called the Facebook. Are you familiar with that? I'm like, no, I wasn't familiar. And <laughs> I basically could look at, pic- I could post my pictures and go online and have these conversations. What was the point of the conversation in like the early part was you had these groups. So it wasn't that we were talking to one-on-one directly, but you might have things you like. So, I, went to, I was at Ohio University for grad school, so we had um, fans of the Marching 110, which is the marching band of Ohio University, and we would talk about what we like, and we would find people that would share similar interests. The thing that I found kind of heartwarming about that is I knew those people were at the university, and I knew for the most part those were real people, that they were people that I could go to their door, talk to them away from the social media. And I found that that gave me a little bit of comfort. So it was building the community that was in the real world on a virtual level. And having those two points was nice because it was an extension of school. Now we'll take it from 20, 2005 to 2018, where there may be people that I followed or friend on Facebook that aren't actually those people. I follow Tom Waits on, on social media. Chances are... If they're posting anything on, about Tom Waits, either on Twitter or Facebook, it's going to be his public relations team. The chances of Tom Waits actually spending his time getting away from writing music and being on social media, I, I, I find would be very unlikely. But I still follow that because I want to see what's going on. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. less along the lines of maintaining social relationships and doing what many of my colleagues, um, I've got a uh, Josie DeGroote Brown talks about parasocial relationships that I feel like I'm having a relationship, even though there's not really a relationship there. So I feel like I've got a relationship with Tom Waits or uh, Alex Trebek or someone else that I respect, but we don't have that direct connection. It's something that I look through social media. The other thing that happens with that is that my friends that I've known for years, there's high school reunions that come up. So there'll be a point where you will have to do a high school reunion and a high school reunion is a surreal experience high school reunion I've done I did my 20th high school reunion it was it's 96 so it was 2016 was my 20 year high school reunion I knew what all my friends were doing because I follow all of them on Facebook so I'm still involved in their lives and that's sort of another parasocial so let's see let's go back to the question so the question was how do I think face or how do I think social media has impacted my ability to um to Uh, use recommendations if i remember correctly so i think the answer is if it's friends that i know in the real world and we share similar taste i'm going to be more likely to listen so i have a friend on facebook kyle moody who we have a very similar musical taste so he'll say hey the national has put up a new uh album cool i'm gonna grab it have you heard this latest um song by puddles uh pity party He'll listen to it. So we'll exchange that type of music. There are people that I may know sort of that are kind of in the periphery. They're not famous, but I sort of know them. And I'd be less likely to listen to them. And if it's people that are famous that I respect, I'll be uh, listen to them. But chances are I'm going to respect my friend's position more than a celebrity I've never met. So that's the way I think those um, recommendations and um, taste making works. But that's okay. – yeah, but I think, I mean, everyone's going to be different in that. But I think it's, it's some flavor of you got your friends, you got your people that are sort of on the periphery, and celebrities that are on social media. And depending on how you view your relationship between those three groups and individuals in those groups are going to impact your, your taste for recommendations.
0: I love it. I love it. And like, I, I want to, I really want to bring Ben into this a little bit to have you talk um, back and forth with Shane. But it's like the one thing I really appreciate and love about Ben is that like, he isn't as you know connected as I've been or what you've been, Shane. Um, like he doesn't have a Facebook. Uh, he, he has an like Instagram and a Snapchat. But even then, he doesn't you know dive his head in as a lot of other people does. So it's interesting when like Ben and I go to a record store. Is that one of the closest connections that he's going to get to like one of his favorite bands, ZZ Top or something? Is being able to purchase their record. So Ben, like, how is like what is that connection to you? And how is that more important than following them on Facebook?
1: Um, well, I mean, I mean, my main reason, my main reason for not being really big on the social media is that if there's information that I want to know, there's other places I can go more directly to that information without weeding through all the extra garbage, pretty much, um, if that makes okay. any sense. Yeah. Um and so, and what, and that doesn't necessarily have to be on the internet. That can be through, uh, you know, hard, physical, um, media, albums, you know, buying records, that sort of thing, or it can be a website or something, or you know, Apple Music or something like that. Where it's, you know, if if I want to look up something about Billy Gibbons, okay, that's cool. I can go online and search for exactly what I want to know instead of you know kind of waiting for it to trickle in you know on and have to kind of filter because i mean there is inevitably there is you know a a large amount of fluff on social media you know for anybody regardless of who they're following um you know there's always going to be the suggestions and just kind of the fluff that goes along with it and that's just something that i've never really been super interested in and that's it's just kind of turned me off a little bit to the whole social media thing. Um and and you know, I don't know. Well, I, maybe that well, answers your question and maybe it doesn't, but uh No no <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it
2: does, but I think Ben what you also have is you have other outlets. So if Billy Gibbons does a podcast or there's a direct, you know, if he's actually doing media interviews or something like that, that's a way that you can get a sense of what his taste is. And Billy Gibbons has given from CC Top's given plenty of interviews Mm -hmm. in terms of what you get a sense i think i think it's fine i think that i'm not i I, this i have colleagues that are big into social media i find that social media is is nice in certain aspects and is very has a has a darker purpose so i'm i'm not all i i 15 years ago i think i i had someone ask me do i think facebook is going to be a way of us all connecting. And I, being a very naive optimist, I said, sure, because as long as we maintain our relationships in the real world, may, may we have our interest away from the the, the, the trivial and the, the, the negative, and we can actually maintain civil communication online, I think we're going to be fine. And golly gee, I mean, we've done a great job with civil communication online. I think I'm very proud of the way that we've gone up to this point. Okay, that, I that's, like it. Well, that's sorry, okay. That was sarcasm at the end. So I thought we, we were civil online. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, dry well, humor. I gotta work on the dry humor stuff. Okay, this is good. This is <laughs> this is why I needed feedback. Um, okay, so the punchline I'm, is: I think I, I think I think social media has its strengths and weaknesses. So I'm not always a one size fits all when it comes to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. My my, my fault is that I'm I'm much more gullible than I probably should be. Uh, <laughs> my bad there.
2: <laughs> no, that's okay. Nolan, you're not gullible. I would never call you gullible. That's that's just so oh, you know, you're that, just naive. It's fine. It's okay. Yeah,
1: it's just you know, that kinda uh, leads me into a next point that I wanted to ask about. Um you know, you know, joking about Nolan being gullible, but that kind of leads me into a, um the one of the points that I wanted to talk to Shane about. The and it doesn't nec- I don't necessarily have to be talking about social media in general. I can be talking about the overall just internet media um, and I guess I guess I was looking for Shane's input on how that everything internet related has affected media because I you know you look at the there is and I was talking about fluff earlier too and everybody knows that the internet is 99% fluff and there is a, a A prevalence of things that aren't necessarily either newsworthy or credible and with the it and it's so readily accessible that you know there is a a huge amount of people that are willing to not question things you know and i'm not picking a side either way you know i'm not trying to play any political and that's i guess that's kind of where i'm you see most of it is political type stuff or, you know, uh, right. opinions on current events and that sort of thing. And I guess your overall, uh, what you see as far as cre- credibility wise, because there seems to be with the internet, anybody can put anything up there out there and, you know, there's going to be somebody that goes along with it.
2: Right. And so in that case, um, it's an important point because I I think judging the credibility of sources is always important. The internet in its in its foundation in its essential core competency, it is a mode of communication. Human beings have been evaluating communication and and the the ability to trust others for thousands of years. This is a classic rhetoric argument. How do I trust the person that is speaking in front of me? Even if that person is just a bunch of ones and zeros online. And the, the general arguments is you judge them on the logic of their argument, the emotion they're trying to go through and their credibility as a source as logos ethos pathos. It's a classic tradition anymore. Since you can't see anyone online, how do you judge their credibility? And, what I tend to teach my students as part of that is there is a classic test called the crap test, C R A A P, as a means of trying to do some evaluation. So C is currency. It or cur- the, how current is this information? Or how timeless? How timey? Timeless is this information. One of the classic um, things I use for this is. Every so often on Facebook or on Twitter, I'll see B. Arthur has died. So there's a, there's either a trending topic, even though Facebook is not doing trending topics anymore. I used to see B. Arthur, and what would happen is that people would discover again and again that B. Arthur has died years ago, but they would not remember that she died years ago, and therefore they would keep repeating the information. So, that's sort of one example of that we're basically adding to this noise that Ben's talking about. But there's other things that a person could have had a position 10 or 12 years ago, and because they had that position, that position holds with them. People will change. People will get new information. They'll make adjustments. If it's someone's position years ago that is coming up again, should we hold them to account for a position they've had in the past? That's something to consider. So that's currency. Relevance. Uh, the importance of information that suits your needs. Uh, it's very easy to be stuck in trivial. Uh, I always joke that Facebook is full of kitten videos because anytime <laughs> I see a video on Facebook, it's it's cat videos or it's something that's a little bit more trivial. Um, I always have to consider what is this information doing based on something that I need to know. If it's less connected, I've got to kind of put it away. Uh, we have to talk about the authority, the source of the information. This has been a problem. So one of my past research projects was looking at um, the Appalachian region of the United States during the 2016 polit- uh, presidential election and where people were getting their information about the, the different candidates. Um, and specifically, how was the Appalachian people looked at as, as a, in their own regional media versus the nation? And essentially, the people that were closer to the Appalachian region, people that were West Virginia Public Radio, um, Athens, Ohio, were more likely to present the Appalachian people in a more authentic way, where when you went to national, it was more of a consolidated presentation. They got a couple of the bullet points, but they didn't get to the complexity. So that idea of authority, people that are closer to the source are going to be more likely to know what's going on. Um, accuracy. This is the toughest one online. Um, do we know that these people are speaking the truth? I'm still a big proponent of Snopes. I have family members that will post blatantly false information online. And as an educator, it's, I feel it's my job to kind of prevent that. So (laughs) if I know if I can show good information that I believe is neutral in nature that shows the flaws, I'll present that. And finally, purpose. So what's the purpose of this particular piece of content? If it's to invoke emotion and cause people to get angry just for the purpose of getting people angry, it's probably not a good piece of content. So I always have my students think about it in this way. So the CRAP test is currency, relevance, authority, accuracy, and purpose. If you can judge a piece of content based on that, you can actually make better decisions. The problem with that is what I just explained is a very analytical process. When we look at stuff online, it's often fast. It's quick. We don't have time to always analyze. It would slow the process down. But that process is important. Otherwise, it becomes viral. Bad information becomes viral because we don't do our best to prevent that information from passing.
0: Okay. I I love it. It's Mm -hmm. actually connecting a lot of dots here and kind of – understanding that and if people are able to you know go through that acronym and apply it to what they see we can wrap up the show here with one kind of i guess big question is where do you see the future of media going like if people aren't able to necessarily go through that process and you know things get out there things go viral like do you feel like we've hit a plateau of how people are connected or do you think it's still going to grow to a point of like a critical mass kind of thing.
2: Okay. Well, let me get my crystal ball out for just a second. Nolan <laughs> crystal ball. All right. In all seriousness, I, I think two things that I always do before this type of conversation, I have to consider what we as humans do in terms of predictions, because that's basically what you where are we going to be down the road in terms of all this information that's out there. And the first thing I'll tell you is humans are bad at predictions. Because we don't really see the future being connected to the present. It's always this disconnected this this, this connected element. That the Jetsons exist because we don't connect it to what's happening now. We look at flying cars. The second thing that I have to say is that not only are we bad predictions, but we don't know what's happening now. Because we're so exposed to our own culture, we don't recognize it. So with those two things in mind, these are the only... I, I would always say there's three things. I think that what we tend to what we'll see years down the road is that if there is enough outrage based on falseness and based on misinformation, then there's going to be probably um, restrictions either through publication sources, which I would include Facebook and Twitter publication sources as a way of preventing misinformation. I, I think you're starting to see that now. So Facebook, because, and Twitter, because of the, because of the amount of misinformation that's spread on those two sources, it's become more problematic for society. Because if we have false information being accepted as normal, everyday mainstream information, it's going to provide this big disconnection. So I think that what you're going to start to see is that the publication companies. Publication companies, including Facebook and Twitter, are going to start to restrict that. Number two, as I said before, I think what you're going to see more is you're going to look for a circle of friends that you trust. You're going to look for people whose opinions and expertise you trust. And you're going to probably want to make it all connected. You want to make sure that all these pieces are have been vetted through people that you trust and they know what they're talking about. And the third thing is chances are you're going to want it in a very simplified format, basically one source. So you're not getting multiple sources that are out there that are competing for your attention. So you're not doing abcnews.com.com as information. (laughs) You're going to look at ABC News. (laughs) So what I just described, golly gee, sounds like a newspaper to me. Because you have (laughs) a restriction of information. You have a circle of people that you trust that's reporters and it's one platform. And the more that I've heard, and I, I would say that that was my idea, but unfortunately I stole that from Michael Bitten, who writes for the Times of London. <laughs> and he described it, I'm like, yep, that's the correct answer. So <laughs> as a way of, you know, not plagiarizing others' ideas, that's where I originally heard the idea from. And I think that that's, I think we're going to see more of a consolidation. I don't know if it's going to go walled garden, because we've been down that path before. Um, in the 1990s, you had CompuServe and Prodigy that acted as walled gardens. But I think you're going to start seeing sources that are more vetted, I hope, have more expertise and be able to get information that is reasonable for our needs as a society. Because if we have the media break down and we no longer trust mainstream sources and we have this fragmentation, then we can't speak to each other. It's basically the Tower of Babel. We've all decided to speak our own languages and go to our own tribes. That's a problem.
0: Yeah, Ben. Did you have something?
1: Well, yeah, kind of. Um, going back to your first point, and I think I, I would like to make an important distinction. Um, the word restriction is a oh. a difficult.
2: Okay. Yeah. Let me let me uh, let me clarify. <laughs> when I say restriction, I'm I I think I mean more along the lines of. Um, I guess filter is pro- maybe a little bit better, but I think it has the okay. same. But I think well, when I say, well, okay, so when I say filter or when I say restriction, I think it's something that has the potential to prevent harm. It doesn't mean that you cannot see it. So this was not a right. first. Trust me. Okay, so yeah. That's I mean, where I was going at, with at, this is that yeah, it they're could they're be a hanging, slippery
1: yeah. slope. No, no, no. Um, slippery, and
2: that's where I'm with that. And it's not a First Amendment argument. And there's a whole thing about First Amendment. When I say restriction, I think it's that it's more like a rating system is what I mean in terms of restriction. Because you can see an R-rated movie as long okay. as you recognize it's an R-rated movie. That's okay. the type of restriction. So th- thank you for letting me clarify that. That's that's an important point.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and I, I heard that, and I, I I felt like I knew what you meant, but I wanted to make sure that it was explained and that someone else didn't misunderstand. No,
2: perfectly reasonable. Yeah, because I, I, as someone that believes in in, in in the the marketplace of ideas, I think that's important. <laughs> But I think it has, there also still has to be, you have to know what you're buying in the marketplace of ideas. So you need to have it labeled properly to understand its place in the marketplace of ideas.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Ben.
0: I love it. This is absolutely amazing. And oh my God, I wish we could talk forever, but <laughs> uh, there, there's just so many things to be able to talk about and continue to understand and grow with media. And Shane, I would really love to have you back. Both of us would really love to have you back um, to kind of talk a little bit more. Again, Shane Tilton, Assistant Professor of Multimedia journal- Journalism excuse me, at our alma mater, Ohio Northern University, and the Honorable 2018 Young Stationers Prize winner. Shane, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Nolan. Thank you, Ben.
0: As always, you can uh, leave a – if you enjoy the show, leave a kind of view on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We're out there on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, um, anywhere where you carry your favorite podcast app. If you want to – we want to actually hear. I need some water. We want to hear from you guys, our listeners. If there's anything that you want to know about Ben or me or any of our guests, give us a shout out and give us a quick email, youngnostalgia2017 at gmail.com. That could be anecdotes, things you love about the show. If you want to be a future guest, future topic, any question that you want to know about us, give us a shout out. Um, and, and, And please follow us on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. And you can also find Dr. Tilton out there on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. He keeps his feed pretty pretty uh pretty thick with amazing media news as well as his as as his own uh happenings. So it's great to keep up with him and uh thank you so much for joining us. Anything else, big guy?
1: Um uh, <clears throat> no, nothing besides uh, you know that was a, a, a fantastic show and and having Shane on, we've been trying to make that happen for quite a while. And uh and I, I would love to see that happen again. And you know, we're in just in general, we'd like to to get more into the guest, um, in, into having guests on the show in general. Um, and you know, that's something we've been working towards. And I'm really excited that now we're starting to begin that.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's great to be here. Uh, we figured it all out. And uh, the good thing is, is that we don't have webcams when we do guests. So even though I dressed in a shirt today, nobody could see it. So that's okay, though. Uh, (laughs) I think think that pretty much does it for episode 44. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And as we always say here on Young Nostalgia.
1: Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. Take care, everybody.